latest from Scotston. This is Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors' official podcast. Hello and welcome back to Warriors Weekly. Uh, we're here again on a, an off week for the Guinness Pro 14. Uh, we have no game this weekend. Uh, we're back next weekend when we travel to face the Dragons. Uh, so I thought we'd take the opportunity this week while uh, Ash is off sunning himself somewhere. Uh, delighted to say it, joining us here on Warriors Weekly is uh, former Warrior Colin Gregor. How you doing, Colin? I'm very well, thank you, Jeremy. Delighted to be here and very jealous of Ashy away in the sunshine whilst we are in the, the yeah. rain and mist of Scotsdon. I wonder where he is, Vegas, Dubai. Well, he's a jet setter, isn't he? So who isn't knows, <laughs> probably even further afield than further that. Afield. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's good to have you Good to have you along. Uh, I thought we'd just first of all cover off uh, the game at the weekend. It was a, a big win for the Warriors. It was, yeah, massive to, to kind of get the season up and running that you, you don't want to start the, the season with, with three defeats on the bounce. So really important. I think the, the way they, they started the game, there was a, a bit of excitement of, oh, hang on, we could be on for a, a, real, a real good score. But then Cardiff came back into the game and, and I think you saw the kind of doggedness of Glasgow even missing however many players at the World Cup just to... To yeah, to to dog it out ultimately and and get that win and that's the the be all and end all at this point. It just shows how important that quick start was. Uh, tries through Callum Gibbons and Nick Frisby and uh, all the points coming from Brandon Thompson's book. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's it. That they, they did explode out the traps and you maybe look at. Uh, yeah, the, the importance of that, especially Cardiff having lost at Edinburgh the week before, they would have come up here a, a wee bit short on confidence. And and then, okay, as always happens, the opposition get themselves into the game and, and get a, a period of dominance or, or a bit of possession and things. And, and sort of, it becomes a wee bit nervous for the, the, the Scots and the Warriors faithful. But... I think even with the, the, a bit of an inexperience, obviously guys like, like Jamie Doby on the field, it's a totally different thing for him rather than chasing a game. He, he's come on and, and actually helped manage uh, a, a narrow victory. So again, it's great experience, great learning for, for the guys involved. Talk about Jamie Doby position, you know well. How much will that experience help Jamie uh, going forward in terms of being playing involved in the last few weeks? Yeah, I, I think you can't underestimate that. I think that's you got to look at the, the absence of so many players for such a, a large ch- chunk of the, the season, obviously pre-season, that none of the internationals are around. So people like Jamie Doby getting meaningful game time, but also just that kind of like live involvement in training, Dave Rennie gets an opportunity to work with him, see, see the potential as well. So for, for him going forward, it's it's been a, a great opportunity. And I think in fairness to him, he's, he's really taken it. And at 18, just out of school, straight in. I mean, incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's bonkers when you th- you think about it. Yeah, th- th- he can be doing that at 18 when, yeah, th- as an 18-year-old, I was <laughs> miles away from that. Yeah, and so n- now I think it's really important how he's managed through this season and for the next couple of years that obviously you've got, George Horn, Ali Price coming back at, at various points. Nick Frisby's still around as well. So it's yeah. Sean Kennedy as well. Of course, yes. Yeah. So yeah, th- there's plenty of options there, but that's why that's why Dave Rennie gets paid the big bucks eh, to, to improve these guys and, and give them meaningful opportunities. So you know a lot about this sort of period. It's a difficult period, isn't it, with so many players away, but a great opportunity for guys like Jamie Dobie and others to put their hands up. Yeah, I, I think... The, the, the good thing for, for Warriors is that they've still got that real kind of core of experience. Your, your Bob Harleys, your Chris Fizarro's, your Tim Swinson's, 
people like that. I think there's been opportunity for for Brandon Thompson, guys that have been in and around the the, the squad for a while to, to get some some more game time. Nick Gregg, having been involved with the World Cup, coming back, just he's always really sort of lively player. And then it's a totally different mindset again when the internationals come back because Six Nations periods, they're similar, but when a World Cup's in, you've got that whole pre-season. And so a lot of the guys that you expect to, to set the standards, that, that set the tone of, of how good training are, are, are missing. So that's where these experienced players, it, there's a big responsibility on them to step up. And and the young guys, they kind of it's almost like, well, I can't be too much of a young guy. I have to, I have to f- fulfil... The, the or the, the kind of the, the void that's left and now it's a, a different dynamic because they, they almost then go back to being the the young guys and so it's it's how the they are still integrated the the international is coming back into the squad they don't really know these these young players who are suddenly like hang on who are the, who are these guys that have been playing in the so it, but it, it's then it again that's that's the I think the Warriors have always had a really strong kind of team ethic and and it's being about the the bigger squad and so yeah I'm sure there, there'll be plenty of opportunities over the the next year or two for these guys to kick on and the World Cup's a, a different period as well compared to the Six Nations because the Six Nations the players are still around the place they they might come back on an off week there'll be some guys involved that aren't playing for Scotland but the during the World Cup they're away completely yeah and and so they're in camp for however long and wherever they 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 were here there and everywhere throughout the the summer and yeah but they're they're completely removed from Glasgow and it's challenging as well so for the likes of Dave Rennie and the coaches if they're looking to to kick on from last season and bring new things new whether it's new attacking moves whether it's new strategies sort of little tweaks in defence it's difficult to do yeah because you're doing it with a, a group of guys that aren't going to make up the, the core of your squad for the, the majority of the season. Having said that, the, the Six Nations is just around the corner. So, the, the, yeah, it's it's just that whole juggling, balancing act, which it's uh, that's the, the way of the, the rugby world just now. Now, our next three games, it's Dragons away, as we said there, a week on Saturday. Uh, then we're home to the Kings and then away to Zebra. So, you know, three tough games, but an opportunity to try and get a bit of momentum. I think that's exactly it, isn't it? At this stage of the season, just building a bit of momentum, and there are three games that you would you would hope you would expect Glasgow Warriors to come away with a, a good haul of points, but it's not just going to happen. The, these teams, Dragons away, is a it's a stuffy place to go, and they'll think, "Hang on, Glasgow without a lot of players, maybe th- there is a, a chance there to to really get at." The Warriors, so yeah, it's and, and it's that classic game by game. So right, what do you have to do to, to get the, to get through the Dragons? Make sure that get a, a good win away from home, and then it's do some of the players come back? Do you, do you have uh, yeah? Because Scotland unfortunately are now out of the World Cup, so there's that reintegration phase as well. But it's it's an opportunity for for Glasgow to to kick on and, and start creeping up the table. So let's talk about Scotland, as you brought it up. Um, it, was a, it was a really tough game, wasn't it, the weekend there? Uh, Japan, of course, coming out on top, 28-21. Um, Finn Russell, uh, Nell and Fagerson getting the, getting the tries. But Japan played really well, didn't they? First and foremost, you have to say that. You have to acknowledge that Japan were fantastic. You, you saw them a couple of weeks ago against Ireland, and you think, oh, Ireland missing Sexton. That's, maybe that's the, the kind of... The, the reason, and and you, but then you you look back at that game and the way Japan approached it, the kind of the intensity they had, the the pace, the the skill set. I think I was amazed, so impressed with 
one to twenty three, everyone, they're just their ability to do the basic skills at a really high tempo and their decision making allied to that, whether it was on for, for forwards to, to dummy and go themselves, whether it was on to put in the short tip on pass, whether it was out the back to the backs. Just every time their their decision making, it just kept Scotland guessing, and Scotland, as a result, their defence they they couldn't really get any ascendancy. They couldn't get on the front foot, and against any opposition, if they're going to do that and they're going to keep ball like Japan did, I mean their error count was so low, then it, it makes it really really difficult. Just going to say that they kept possession so well, didn't they? They, they hardly gave possession up, and and obviously if you're giving possession back to them, you're, you know, yeah. it's really difficult. And and that's. That's the one thing. Do you look at from a Scottish point of view and think, okay, they they, they talked about their kicking game and, and applying pressure through that on Japan, but almost midway through that first half, you know, ten fifteen minutes left of the first half, it needed a change of hang on. If we kick ball to them, we're not going to see it again. Let's let's actually just attack from wherever we have to attack and try and do the same to them. But it, yeah, it, it's incredibly difficult because if you if you've been defending for. 10, 20 phases, you get a scrum just outside your own 22. The thought of actually having a go and attacking, it's difficult. You think, actually, we need to relieve pressure by by kicking up the field. But then you do that and you're just back Pressure's under Pressure's back on. Yeah. And Japan playing like that are going to cause a lot of teams a lot of problems, aren't they? Yeah, and, and that's where the the game against South Africa in the quarterfinals will be brilliant. And I guess four years ago, that was what kind of kick-started almost Japanese rugby, that victory over South Africa down in Brighton at the World Cup. So I think South Africa will be a, a bit nervous, they'll be a bit worried, but they'll also look at how Scotland played in that second half. And if you do sort of starve Japan of ball, South Africa have a, a real physicality that they're going to have to impose on Japan and, and they're going to have to kind of suck the life out of the game. But if Japan get ball, if South Africa are in any way in, inaccurate with their kicking game then and Japan maintain that, that level of accuracy with their basic skills, then we're in for a, a real cracker. And with the game being in Japan, of course, the the home support behind them that played a big part of the game, didn't it? The sort of emotional side of it yeah, on the weekend there, especially after everything that had gone on before. I think that's exactly it. There was a lot of tragedy in Japan, but that was almost buoyed the Japanese rugby team. Because I thought they're going into that Scotland game, they've actually got the weight of expectation on them, which they didn't have against Ireland. And they, they, beat, they beat in Ireland, yeah, yeah. So They hadn't had that previously, and it was like, how do they cope with that? They, they were top of the group they were expected to beat Scotland and go and so I thought or I hoped that oh maybe they'd get a little bit nervous they'd you know they'd go in within themselves a bit but geez they just came out and expressed themselves again the latest from Scotston Warriors Weekly Glasgow Warriors official podcast let's talk a, a little bit about you Colin because um it must be nice to, to be coming back to the club. Um, you made your debut well, back in 2004? I think so, yeah. 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 How, how much has the, the club changed since then? <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's almost a totally different beast. That Back in, in those days, of you did your gym, your, your weights in, in the Palace of Arts at Bella Houston Park, then you all piled up to, to White Craigs to train if the pitches weren't underwater, which I think about eight or nine months of the year they were underwater so then you had to find somewhere else to train there was no real kind of home for Glasgow Warriors it wasn't the same kind of identity I think even back then the one thing we did have was a real camaraderie there was always a, a real sense of of the kind of team and the importance of the kind of on-field and on off-field bonding but the way that the whole kind of machine has, has grown and and just become 
a far more impressive operation. You, you just look out at Scotston, we're, we're looking out the window now, and the kind of the fact that you now have four stands set up, the, the, the all-weather pitch, so it's, it's beautiful and green and, and really crisp, contrasting to the, the blue running track. But it, it just it, it, it's a really striking setting. All the kind of branding and everything downstairs in, in the tunnel, in the changing areas, in the in the gym, you know you're part of something here, and I think that's all fine and, and dandy. The kind of, but actually, it's the actions that back up that all the all the words, and I think that's where Glasgow just continue to to develop, and, and I think they're they're arguably one of the, the leaders in in rugby, just in that whole kind of culture piece and, and the importance of the team and and working and developing around that. And the other side is actually on-field on has changed massively as well. That uh, back then we went a lot of games we played not to lose or we we tried to take the life out of the game. Uh, we just didn't have the same quality, the same uh, exciting rugby players that, that Warriors now have. And that's built over the last five, six, seven, eight years, which is, is brilliant because it, it's a really exciting product on the field. And It doesn't happen overnight, nah, does it? Exactly. And, and that... The, the underpinning that is the the work that's done on the training field and that just the the coaches and their kind of belief in well we just need to work on the basic skills and get players better and empower them to then make decisions on the field and the nature of that is people don't get it right all the time but you then hope well you learn from that and you you do see improvements and I think over the course of these three games at the beginning of this season you've seen improvements that it's not been it's not been perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but each game there's been definite signs of of progress. And as a coach, as a playing group, that that's really what you want. And you played a lot of positions. We were we we're actually I don't know if you heard recently. We were talk, there was a podcast where we had Kevin Miller on. Where we were talking about uh, players that played for the club, and uh, I think I think he said you were the most versatile <laughs> player ever. Did did you play in every position apart from wing? Yeah, in the back line, yeah. Back so, line, yeah. And I don't know if that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. That the, the versatility meant there was a, I was a good person to have on the bench because I could cover in in all the positions rather than yes, yeah, sort of maybe starting as many games as as I would have liked. Uh, but yeah, you, I guess you you do need that in in a squad. And the most important thing for me was was being out on the on the field. And it, yes, I would have preferred to play nine or ten, but if I was playing in the centre or, or at fullback, it was uh, I was happy to do it because it was it was pulling on that jersey. But you didn't creep into the forwards? I managed to avoid that. I think if I would have gone on a, a serious diet if, if, I'd, <laughs> if I'd crept into the forwards at any point, yeah. What was your favourite, what's your favourite memory of the club? Because I mean, you must have, must have so many. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I guess on field it, it has to be the the victory over in Toulouse where we we beat them in the in the European Cup first win on French soil yeah i think so yeah uh, and just the, the 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 manner in which we did it actually we we played really well and and threw the ball around a bit the the Evans brothers were in in fine form that day i think we, yeah and and so that was that's the, the kind of standout there's a couple of of games it was back up at for how we were playing i think we we played uh, Bourgoin in the European Cup which again it was it was a, just one of those good fun games that everything seemed to click we put the best part of 50 points on Edinburgh up there as well so the the Edinburgh Glasgow uh, rivalries were always good so um and I guess the from a personal point of view 
having a, a mum from Llanechley in Wales, the, the chance to play down at, at Strathy Park before it got knocked down was, it was, it was I suppose, yeah, for, for, a, for a family, that was quite a special sort of moment, one that I, I didn't expect when I was a kid watching them, uh, watching them play down there at, on Easter holidays. So, yeah. How much time did you spend down in Wales? Just, we, we tended to go down probably once a year um, to for, for Easter holidays. Uh, Mum's family had a furniture shop, so we had to go and visit all the uh, all the staff in there, which was always a fun afternoon. And the the best part were the great aunts who they, there were three of them, and they felt they had to give us six cream eggs and, and five pounds each. So that was it was pretty lucrative. <laughs> now you you became a bit of a sevens or big sevens specialist. Is that something that you just was that planned, or is that just the way that things turned out? Yeah, I think it, it was it, just the way it kind of organically went. That obviously from I think two thousand and three was when I, I made my sevens debut over in Hong Kong, and I think almost every year apart from one when I was with Glasgow, I'd I'd go back to the sevens for a couple of tournaments, and it was two thousand and eleven. The Scottish Rugby were putting in, in place a, a full time sevens program, sort of committing to it a bit more in the build-up to, to the Glasgow Commonwealth Games. And they asked me to if I would kind of look to focus more on that than Glasgow. And I think with... I felt that my 15-a-side career had probably gone as far as it was going to go. And there was there was an opportunity there to, to kind of take a, a bit of ownership of, or, or a bit of leadership of a programme. I think the way things were kind of... The picture that was painted and the reality were, were fairly different. But the... The challenges that you had to overcome, you just got on with it. Uh, I think uh, John Manson, obviously, who's, who's about to depart from Warriors, was in as team manager about that time, and we just had to, to adopt a real sort of solutions-focused mindset, and we wanted to make a, a high-performing team, and, and so it was like, well, what can we do? They the will kind of control the controllables to make that happen and, and provide the best opportunity for, for the players to get out on the field to, to train as well as we could and, and perform, and... It was uh, it was definitely a roller coaster, but the, there was a lot of learning to take from it, both on the field and off the field. And you were captain, of course, at uh, Glasgow twenty fourteen. Must have been a special moment for you. It was, yeah, yeah. I think that just that whole build up to the the games and and knowing it was in in Glasgow, my home city, it, it was always going to be really special. There are various frustrations and things about how things panned out, which yeah, it would take a, a whole whole lot of time to go through but yeah I think that ultimately the the living in the east end of Glasgow which I didn't maybe think would be as as good fun as it was or as safe as it was but yeah and and then walking out at Celtic Park for the opening ceremony was, was pretty epic and and then running out at Ibrox for the the rugby so made sure that we covered off both old firms there uh, but yeah it was just it was a, a great experience and not just for the Scots, speaking to, to other guys on the World Series after they'd played at, at Ibrox and they said it was the best atmosphere they'd, they'd experienced across the world. Yeah, packed Ibrox it was. It was really yeah, special, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And what about other memories in terms of playing on the Sevens circuit? What, what, what was your favourite tournaments or big games? Yeah, so... Uh, one of my one of my last games, I think we was down at Twickenham, and it was a Twickenham was a sellout, so it was um, yeah packed, and we we managed to beat England, where I think it was Damien Hoyland scored a hat trick, so that was yeah it's always it's always nice beating England, doing it at Twickenham was was pretty special. Favorite tournaments, 
Hong Kong, there's something just unique about that. The the first time you, you see the stadium where it, it just, you kind of almost going up a hill, turn around a corner and it's just looming large over you, the, the atmosphere there. Um, Wellington, when it was at its peak, it was like playing rugby in the middle of a nightclub, that any opportunity to get the music play, blaring they would they would take. And then I always enjoyed actually Dubai, the just the when the when the sun sets in Dubai, the atmosphere just totally changes, probably because everyone's been on the, the Heineken all day as well. But um yeah, I think it's just yeah, lot lots of lots of really special memories from from around the world and Lots, lots that you don't want to go into as well, but yeah, I mean, a fantastic opportunity to to see the world and and play the game that you love. And now you're you're doing some work in the media. You're head of operations at uh, Basketball Scotland. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so the, the kind of the radio stuff for for the rugby. I just see that as a a way of staying involved, a, a chance to kind of talk about the the game that that I really enjoy enjoyed playing. Try and. Uh, kind of put a positive spin on things as, as much as possible uh, and and you 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 do that you realize well that's evenings or weekends so you, you then have to have a proper job as well as it were and so when I when I first retired I, I went into doing a bit of kind of performance consultancy stuff and then this job with with Basketball Scotland came up the I knew a couple of people working there and it was a good organization so still involved in sport which I think uh it's a, a good kind of integration or transition through into into the big bad world. I'm in, in charge or, or sort of lead up on uh, HR, sort of involved in finance, organisational development. So the, the HR and finance in particular areas that I feel that I'm, it's helping me to develop as a person. And then the, the sort of organisational development, looking at kind of culture, values, behaviours, is a bit more around... What I've what I've learned from a sporting context, and then how to take it into into a different environment. And so, yeah, whilst doing stuff with with basketball Scotland, I kind of also do a bit of um, I guess consultancy with a, a company called Sandstone Communications, who they they do a lot of sort of leadership and development and training programs that are they're involved primarily down south, but we're doing or there's more and more kind of opportunity up in in Scotland so primarily with them around high performance teams and looking at well what is high performance the the importance of of how you measure it and then the kind of key behaviors characteristics that you then kind of implement and and it doesn't matter what your team does because people are people ultimately and if we go back to the World Cup, I think Japan were a great example of a high-performance team, and they had their their measurable. They talked about minutes in play, and that's how they wanted to to measure their game. And and yeah, so it's it's a, a good example to bring into that sort of. And it sounds it sounds like you've you've transitioned from playing, you know, really well, and you've you've got a lot of things on the go. I mean, how do you find the time for for it all? <laughs> well, yeah, it's. Uh, you, it's daft because when you're when you're playing rugby and you're training a couple hours in the morning and a couple hours in the afternoon and it's like oh, I don't have time to to do a, a uni course or I don't have time to do any work experience but um, yeah you, you just get on with it and the the transition it's not been easy I I don't know I don't know if anyone would actually find it easy because you go from doing something that you love doing something that you've done for since you were a kid that ultimately pretty much everyone it's their hobby and and they they're, they're, you're then fortunate to go into it as being your your job 
and no matter what preparation I think you you can do, nothing actually prepares you for the when you then you don't have to go to the gym and you don't have to to go out on the the rugby field and it's also what I missed a lot was that being a part of something and and being a part of that team and when you hear that a lot, don't you, from players yeah, that retire? Yeah, and and that's where yeah you, you, the 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 other thing is your identity and it's like whatever you chat about you 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 are a rugby player and it's for how long can you say oh I was a rugby player it's like well yeah but what are you now it's like you can't keep looking back in the past and and it's just getting that transition and I I tried a whole lot of things when I retired because I, I had no idea what I wanted to go into but I realized that actually that kind of the the team improvement or individual sort of betterment and that kind of how how do people get better and, and how do you kind of motivate people? How do you work as a team to kind of improve? And that was the, the area that I was sort of latterly passionate about, passionate about. And that's the bit that is actually transferable across that. Yes, it, it's not like for like because you, you don't play, everyone doesn't play rugby as a profession, but there are so many transferable skills. Yep. And there are so many learnings that you can then take into into whatever team you're you're looking to work with. And Scottish Rugby have a Rugby for Life programme now, which is helping players prepare for life after rugby. How important is that? Yeah, it's, it's massive. It's a, the, the whole area is so, so important in, in rugby and in any sport. That I'm, I'm on the board with Commonwealth Games Scotland as well, and it's an area that, that we're looking to develop. And Scottish Rugby putting this Rugby for Life thing in place, it's, it's massively important. I think the, the challenge and... Uh, speak, with personal experiences is getting the buy-in from the players because there is an element when you're playing of oh it's fine I can I'll I'll deal with that later or I'll I'll look at that that and and a career-ending injury that won't happen to me it'll be someone so it's it's, so that work's got to happen right from the very start all the way through so whether you're 18 years old or 30 you know it's important that that work's going on yeah and and it, it has to be tailored to the individuals because some people it's about going to to university some people it's about going to college some people it's about getting like meaningful work experience others it's yeah. a, an apprenticeship yeah so it's it's and how how you can make sure that you get the buy in from the players because they're actually going to enjoy it and i think that the flip side of that is actually the the on field will get better as well because when you have something that you can focus on, it means that you switch off from rugby. And yeah. so when you switch off from rugby, when you need to switch on, you can switch on properly. Whereas You're in you, a better place. Yeah, if you don't have that other focus, then you never fully switch off. So you can't then fully switch on. That's really interesting. Well, th- thank you so much for joining us this week, Colin. Hopefully we'll get you back on uh, at some point yeah, over the, th- over the thanks season. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really enjoyed it. So thanks for listening to Warriors Weekly. We'll be back um, as normal next week with uh, Adam Ash, and we'll be looking ahead to our game against the Dragons in the Guinness Pro 14 on Saturday. Uh, thanks for listening again. Don't forget, leave us a review if you can, uh, and su- subscribe. We are available on all the usual platforms. Uh, And we'll see you again next Tuesday at five o'clock. Warriors Weekly, Glasgow Warriors official podcast.